0: this is something I'm very passionate about is, you know, how do we create a more positive environment? How do we get people really achieving? You were put on this earth for a purpose. And it wasn't to sit around and watch TV. It's to make a positive difference.
1: I am Shante Jovan Taylor, and you are having coffee with the neuroscientists welcome to coffee with a neuroscientist we have an exciting episode for you we are here with our speaker from los angeles california dr danny brussell he has served as an educational advisor to students ranging from preschoolers to rocket scientists that's cool (laughs) while he has held numerous titles and worked with leaders from a variety of fields and disciplines Danny has always considered himself, first and foremost, a teacher. I love that. But he's also affectionately known as the Jim Carrey with a PhD, probably because of his humor, I would guess. I'm looking forward to laughing today. Danny, welcome.
0: That's a big bar to set there, Shante. But thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for spreading joy in the world. We need a lot more of your positivity.
1: I do my best. <laughs> yeah, I actually been kind of stalking you as you travel around the globe and you have this big mission to make sure that the next generation and current generations are loving reading again if they lost it and to make sure that education is equitable. And there's equality in this spectrum of learning to read and developing the love of reading and having access, right, to reading. So we need people at each stage in our generation to keep that on top of mind. Everyone has to work on this journey. But before we get into the meat of this copy with the neuroscientists, Danny, are you a tea person or a coffee person or... What kind of, what's she drinking today?
0: Definitely coffee, black coffee. That's what I drink.
1: <laughs> oh, you're one of those. <laughs> my my son and my husband, they both drink it black. I need a little bit of cream, just a, a smidge.
0: Well, a couple of years ago, I was getting migraines, Shantae, and I went to my doctor and she asked, well, do you drink much coffee? And I said, one or two pots a day. And she's like, you idiot, that's what's causing migraines. And I didn't realize... I don't drink coffee for caffeine. I'm naturally energetic. I get up at four in the morning anyway. Uh, I just drink it because it's something to do and gets me thinking. So I had to switch to decaf. But yeah, I'm just a uh, plain black. I mean, I'd rather put some hazelnut creamer in, but it's just adding unnecessary calories. So <laughs>
1: I hear you on that. I hear you on that. I drink for the caffeine my brain still responds to caffeine mm-hmm. and for the ritual of it, right? Just to ease into my day. I don't know about yeah. the two cups though, Danny. I agree with you, doctor, on that one.
0: <laughs> Everybody needs something.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Danny, why don't you share with us, what is your mission
0: in the world? Thank you for that, Shante. So I'm on a mission to bring joy back into education and in the workplace. And so I do that in four different ways. First of all, I speak all around the world primarily to schools trying to convince teachers and principals not to quit because we're losing too many good educators. Secondly, I have the world's top reading engagement program, which trains parents in just a couple of months how to get their kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. Third, I train entrepreneurs, business executives, anybody who's trying to craft a powerful message that convinces their audience to take the next step, whether that's to purchase their product or to donate to their cause or to really just invest in their idea. And finally, what has really become a passion project of mine, I'm working with a company named Cyber Smarties out of Ireland, which is basically a social media platform for kids ages five to 12, which teaches them positive social media habits. So for example, If I typed a message to you, I said, Shante, I think you're ugly. It won't let me send the message. Instead, you get a pop-up that says, that's not a nice thing to say to Shante. What are some positive things you could say? And it frustrates kids so much that it slows them down that within just a few days, the kids stop sending negative messages. And this program's basically eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland. Now we're in India, we're in UAE, we're in Turkey, we're in New Zealand, and I'm now basically the American representative trying to bring the program into America, but we have a whole bunch of bureaucracy in America that kind of prevents that. I'm just not interested in politics. I'm interested in results and really helping people. Everybody has their differences, which I think is great. I think everybody should have their differences, but we can be nice to one another and kinder to one another and learn to disagree without being disagreeable. So that's a very long answer to a very short question. Shante, I apologize.
1: <laughs> oh, no need to apologize. I loved it all. I appreciate it all. I know whoever's listening connects with everything you were saying. And I just want to say bless you for trying to bring that cyber smart technology to America where obviously it's needed Probably the most. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so and the people who are suffering, unfortunately, are our kids. When adults can't get it together or won't get it together or look at the benefits of you know certain platforms to intervene, you know, mental health in our kids. And it sounds like this technology, this cyber smart. Technology is redirecting their pathways before they even get set in the ugliness, in the bullying. That's where we need to nip it in the bud because those just keep growing if there's not enough correction and guidance, right? You know, so yeah, I
0: I agree, Shante, and I really just think I think the kids are much better than the adults. I recently wrote a letter to the Los Angeles Times. They didn't publish it because they're silly. But basically, there was an article and it was accusing the president and Congress of behaving like children. And the gist of my letter to the editor was that is such an insult to children. Kids are very different than adults. Adults hold grudges. Kids get over it in 10 minutes. It's one of my favorite things about kids. They get in a fight and 10 minutes later, like this is my best friend. And I- <laughs> not kids, We could learn from kids that way.
1: Yes, it does seem lately kids are behaving a bit better than adults in in some areas, unfortunately. And fortunately, I mean, they will guide us, you know, especially um, proud of Gen Z, who has, I mean, they have their challenges too, but they are very in tune with what's going on with the world and how it's affecting them. And so I want to keep that going. Let's talk about how you got into this world of bringing the joy of reading and learning in the world.
0: Yeah, it's kind of ironic, Shante. I'm considered America's leading reading ambassador because I grew up hating reading. I grew up, my father's a librarian. I always hated the public library. It always smelled funny to me. The furniture was uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some freaky homeless guy thinks he's a vampire hanging out in the library. I always hated that growing up. And it wasn't until I started teaching in inner city Los Angeles in South Central where I noticed a lot of my students didn't have the advantages that I had growing up. And I basically said, shame on me. I mean, I was very blessed, Shante. Both of my parents were in the home. We weren't poor, but we weren't rich, but we always had food on the table. And my parents always read to us kids, in front of us kids, and we had plenty of access to reading materials. And I decided I need to do something about that. I think schools, particularly in America, they do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read, because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. And so there's simple strategies I share with parents and teachers on ways to get their kids excited about reading. I mean, and when I'm working with leaders, I always make that point. I mean, there's plenty of readers that don't necessarily become effective leaders, but I can't give you a single example in history of an effective leader that was not also an avid reader. And I mean, and this could be whether you're talking about the military or government or business or athletics or entertainment, great leaders are also great readers. I
1: love that. And the key words is effective, Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) effective leader. (laughs) It's the truth. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people that can rise to power, but, you know, I was having an interview yesterday with an Australian TV station, they were asking me, well, what does reading do for you? I'm like, well, it gives you a passport to the world. I mean, a lot of my students in Compton may have never left Compton, but if they have a library card, they can read about, well, what's it like in Nigeria? What's it like in India? What's it like in China? I mean, I really think that's the the biggest struggle I see in society is people just don't understand one another because they're not exposed to one another. If you're exposed to people, I, I mean, I've spoken in the most conservative and liberal parts on the planet. I find that people are pretty similar in their core values. And it's important to have those types of connections. I mean, really, when I started teaching in Compton, one of the basic reasons I taught there was I wanted my students who were predominantly African-American, Latino. I wanted them to have at least one positive role model who was white. <laughs> and yeah, I've been apologizing to all my African-American friends the last couple of years because I thought we were so beyond racism. And I'm like, whoa, you've been telling me this for years and I didn't believe you. I'm like looking at these videos. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I. It's horrible because the media will always show the most negative, lowest common denominator. I mean, there's horrible cops out there, but most cops are fantastic. There's horrible teachers out there. Most teachers are fantastic. Heck, there are horrible employees at McDonald's out there, but most employees at McDonald's are wonderful. I mean, you can always find a bad example, and that's why I stopped watching the news because... I choose to surround myself with positivity. It's why I listen to your podcast. It's why I read great books. And, you know, I don't have time for the nonsense. I'm I'm not really into people griping. I'm into solutions. What's the solution? If mm-hmm. can gripe, what's the solution?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love having these types of conversations because it lets people know that everybody is still on this journey and you may think you have moved through a certain part of the journey, you know, effectively, you're like, okay, next lesson. But then, you know, things happen and there's another level you can go in your consciousness and your awareness and your mission. And you may need to pivot in, you know, your mission a bit to include what that next lesson needs to look like. So I appreciate you sharing that. I did not know about you teaching in the inner city. I actually taught biology In East L.A.,
0: Lincoln High School.
1: Lincoln, nice. Yes.
0: I never taught in East L.A. I've worked with a lot of schools. I mean, really, the reason I became a teacher was because of Stand and Deliver about Jaime Escalante teaching at Garfield High School in East Los Angeles. But, you know, you got Garfield, Lincoln, Roosevelt, all those great schools. You were saying in the introduction about equity in education. And I'm actually against equity because equality is very overrated. What we need is fairness, because I'm appalled when I look at the conditions of certain schools in this country, because I never had that growing up. I realized, whoa, I was very blessed. I've never taught at a school that didn't have metal detectors and huge steel bar fences. And I mean, if you treat kids like they're prisoners, they start acting like they're prisoners. But I also, I'm the optimist. And I believe that if you tell kids the right things enough times, they start to believe it. I mean, I always told my students, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you. They only give me the best and the brightest. So let's go make this world a better place. I mean, I was very blessed, Shante. My wife is from Singapore. She grew up in the most negative environment. People telling her what she couldn't do her entire life. Whereas I have a photograph from when I was four years old and I'm wearing space boots, a San Diego Chargers jersey, a sheriff's badge, and a fireman's helmet, because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. I mean, that's the world I grew up in. And I want all kids to grow up in a world like that. And so equality and equity is just, you know, this is, oh, like, no, I'm into fairness. let some kids need a little bit of extra help. You know, I learned this in my class. I mean, especially when I was teaching the little ones. I have no idea how males even evolved. The boys are so far behind the girls when they're little. I mean, the girls are brilliant. I I I, I, I keep on telling the boys, I'm like, you better start paying attention. Sixty three percent right now. Sixty three percent of college students are women. You're going to be working for a woman within twenty years. I promise you that. And I'm I'm happy about that. I was speaking at a school in India, an all girls school. And after my presentation, these two beautiful girls, Shante, come up to me. One wants to be a lawyer. One wants to be a doctor. And I say, well, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India? Or maybe you'll go to Great Britain or the United States. And I say, oh, we can't leave India. We're girls. I'm like, get back in that auditorium. I got them all back in. And I said, now is your moment, ladies. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, within the next five years, you're going to be the largest country on the planet in terms of population. I mean, you're a very young democracy. You're only 75 years old. Yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still has not elected a woman president. I'm like, right now, there are twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. There are actually more women in India with a graduate degree than there are people in the United States. So I looked at him. I said, you know what? You just made my new mission. The next prime minister, the next CEO and the next really good mom is coming out of this audience, you know, This is what I miss about teaching the kids all the time is just seeing the light in their eyes because you keep on telling a person something enough times they start to believe it. I love sports and it's the same thing with coaching. I mean, a good coach makes all the difference saying, hey, you can do this. You can do this. You start believing that. get them into that mindset, a positive mindset. This is your whole field is the brain is amazing. It's fascinating. You know, a friend of mine, Keith Harley passed, he was a wonderful speaker and he used to have a line I love because he talks about attitude and he says, well, people tell you garbage in garbage out. He's like, that's not right. Garbage in garbage stays. And I completely agree with him on that. You know, I see so many kids that are torn to pieces and I'm like, gosh. i'm training teachers every day you have a choice you get to be darth vader or ben kenobi i mean be the light not the darkness you have the power to get this kid believing and i mean i taught all grade levels and i always love middle school just because it's middle school where people tell me oh i had this teacher that said this to me you know oh shanta you're a great writer i bet you someday you're going to be a writer. And 20 years later, you win the Pulitzer Prize. Like, oh, I remember Mr. Macelle said I was going to be a writer. I mean, that's that's a great thing. So again, I'm going off on my tangents, but this is something I'm very passionate about is, you know, how do we create a more positive environment? How do we get people really achieving? You were put on this earth for a purpose and it wasn't to sit around and watch TV. It's to make a positive difference.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> Definitely, you know, having a positive, optimistic outlook, you know, sometimes people resist that because maybe for a time they tried it and tried it. And, you know, there's a lot of disappointments in the world as well, right? Especially depending on, you know, what neighborhood you grew up in, the parent, the household and all that, right? So you, you still need, you know, to navigate all that. But we know in neuroscience that having that positive outlook, being more optimistic, turns on the solution finding parts of your brain, right? It releases the neurochemicals that's involved in, you know, shifting your mood so that you can be more of a problem solver and activate different parts of the brain compared to the threat part of the brain, if you will. So it's okay to be positive people. It's it's okay to have an optimistic outlook because it actually will fuel, as Danny was saying, Fuel the solutions. Let's start finding solutions to all of these problems that's been plaguing us, you know, the gender bias, right? Not having fairness in schools when it comes to resources and teachers. And I mean, that's been something that America (laughs) has been dealing with for a long time, but of course, around the world as well. And we have the solutions. We need more solutions, but we need to really change people's mindsets. But you said something very important that if you keep drilling something home, right, especially to our young people, is that a part of your strategies when you are teaching, when you're going into these schools or even when you were teaching? What was your kind of like your process to make sure you drilled it home?
0: time cures everything. I mean, you know, some kids get it immediately. Some kids, it takes them till April, but where there's a will, there's a way. I just, I read every day. I was gifted this wonderful book, this 40 day prayer challenge by pastor Mark Batterson. And he has a line in there that I love. He says, change your ASAP to your ALAT." ASAP stands for as soon as possible. ALAT stands for as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. I used to tell kids, I'm like, when you apply to Harvard someday, it doesn't ask when you learned how to read. You learn how to read. Some kids get it. You know, you always have that parent that loves to brag that their four-year-old is already composing symphonies. I'm like, well, yeah, my son, he's learned to pick his nose with two fingers at the same time, you know? But who can, like, I was just at an event and one of the women who was speaking, she was introduced as Miss Ohio 1975 or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, how sad is that, that you're still using an accomplishment from 50 years ago as your introduction? I mean, I always told my kids, look at the windshield, not the rearview mirror. The future's bright, man. Like, you should always be looking forward. And I tell that to kids. Everybody is different. I always love to use sports examples with the little boys. I'm like, you know, Michael Jordan, he got cut from his basketball team when he was a sophomore. You know, even when he was playing you know he wasn't like the greatest player in high school and he played at north carolina he was a good player at north carolina And you know what he was drafted number three in the nba draft mm-hmm. you know people didn't realize this guy was going to become the greatest basketball player i mean he's an artist during covid i watched that documentary the last dance on the chicago bulls and every week i was so excited about it shante because i forgot how much I love to watch Michael Jordan. I mean, when they give it, the, and I'm a huge LeBron James fan. I just think he's the greatest. But if somebody were to ask me who's the greatest, it's not even a question. I mean, not a question. LeBron's great. LeBron's going to win. He's going to have every statistical thing. And it's amazing. I mean, he should be elevated just for taking Cleveland to the championship. That was an amazing feat in itself. He did it all on his own shoulders, but the criteria for me for the best also isn't just that you have all the stats. I mean, Tom Brady has all the stats. You can never take that away from him. But he's not the artist. I wouldn't pay to see him because when I watch a football game, I look at Patrick Mahomes and he does three things in a game that I didn't think was humanly possible. I'm like, it's artistry. Michael Jordan, everybody looks at his slam dunks. But it, when I watched that the last dance, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot how much I just loved watching his layups. We're watching him take the last shot or just watching him get behind his team and, and getting the best out of mediocre teammates, but getting them to believe. I mean, there's something to be said about that. And that, those are the influences I want my kids seeing all the time is, hey, the NCAA basketball tournament I love. And, you know, Jim Valvana, the coach for NC State back in 1983, their team was nothing, but he got them believing. I mean – He'd have a practice once a month where his team had to cut down the nets. So when they won the championship and they laughed about it at first, but then the players started getting a little bit more serious about it because they started believing. And It's really amazing. You get enough of that. I mean, sometimes it happens overnight. That's great. Doesn't always happen overnight. I mean, greatest college basketball coach of all time was John Wooden. And people forget he coached at UCLA for 14 seasons before they won an NCAA championship. Then they won 10 and 12 years. I mean, nowadays they fire a coach after a single season. I'm like, did you even give the guy a chance? I mean, it's crazy, but you need that support system also is, hey, this might not happen overnight, but we're creating a whole system here. You know, you look at UConn winning the NCAA men's basketball tournament Mm -hmm. and their coach, Dan Hurley, he needs to be grateful because before him was Kevin Ollie had created a great team, and before him was Jim Calhoun. And so you have this program in Storrs, Connecticut, this bastion of talent. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, he's in the middle of nowhere, but in the last 25 years, they've won five NCAA championships. And to me, that's just phenomenal. I love watching things like that, is how did a person build something like that? This is why I love reading, Is I think it's essential. Every leader out there has to be looking at well, what is it that this person did differently? I mean, we have extraordinary people on this planet. I mean, when I read Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela, if people haven't read that book, you've got to read that book. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, this guy was imprisoned for 27 years for a right that's fundamental in the United States. He criticized his government. They kept him in prison for 27 years. Mm -hmm. And when he came out... This guy could have been bitter and resentful, and I don't know what happened, but this guy's wisdom and understanding of human psychology, I mean, he created the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. This was official government policy of South Africa. So any white that had murdered anybody in apartheid, they were asked to go in front of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. And as long as they publicly acknowledged that they had murdered somebody in front of the family and apologized to the family. They were forgiven. This was the government policy. I'm like, if there's one person I would have loved to have met while I was alive, it was Nelson man I'm like, where did this guy come from? You know, you look at Gandhi. I, I mean, Gandhi, I read his, his autobiography. It's one of my favorite autobiographies to read because it was written in 1925, 20 years before he had liberated... India. Where did he come from? You look at Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was a total failure his entire life, if you judge based on his results. One failure after another. And this guy becomes president of the United States. And I mean, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin is one of the greatest presidential books I've ever read. This is a true event in American history. Abraham Lincoln took all of his political rivals and made them his cabinet. And this is not an exaggeration. It would be the Mm -hmm. equivalent of President Biden naming Donald Trump his Secretary of State. This is what Lincoln did. And all these guys hated Lincoln's guts. And by the time he was assassinated, they were all inconsolable. They're like, we've lost the greatest leader. My favorite political quote of all time comes from Lincoln. He says, I know the best way to defeat my enemies. I shall make them my friends. Mm. Who thinks like that? That's why I'm reading. I'm like, Where did this person come from? I did my doctorate at USC, so I'm a huge USC Trojan fan. One of the greatest things ever just happened is they just named the track after Allison Felix, who every girl in America should look up to Allison Felix. She, oh yeah, she won 11 medals in the Olympics, which is great, but she also got her degree because her parents are both teachers. She's very well spoken. When she was pregnant, Nike decided to drop her from their shoes. And so what does Allison do? She starts her own shoe company, which is now blossoming and doing better than Nike. I'm like, that is the greatest. Mm -hmm. I just love I love stories like that. I want kids to hear those stories. Like, hey, every one of you has the capability of changing things in a positive way. And now with you know, technology people freak out about technology. I get excited about technology because right now there's some kid somewhere in the world who's barefoot on a dirt floor, maybe hasn't eaten breakfast. But if they have a laptop and an internet connection, they have the same access as the head of Google. The whole world just got a lot smaller. You don't have to be born in New York City anymore. Like you can be anywhere and affect dramatic change. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're in Austin, Texas. Right? This is great. The Zoom, I think it's. But I never even knew about Zoom until the pandemic. And then like one day I realized, I'm like, oh, I just did an interview with Nigerian television with a podcast in Nepal and a school district in South Carolina all on the same day. That's mm-hmm. That's awesome, you know. So it's
1: helping to close the gap. Technology yeah. and books <laughs> mm-hmm. helps to close the gaps in this this human experience, right? Mm-hmm. So that we all start being one in group instead of all these out groups, right? Yeah. That is the cause of so much tension sometimes. So it sounds like you are getting kids, especially kids, excited about reading, and maybe you tell them just like you were sharing with all of us sharing these stories that you've read and what you gleaned from them. And so they could get excited because a lot of times we only see the win. We only see the success. We don't see the journey. We don't see how they navigated their psychology or their situations or reframe things or who had came into their lives, even if it was for a brief moment, that shifted them or kept them going right and so when they're able to read those stories they can see themselves in those stories they can be hopeful they can be optimistic right and so i think reading is so powerful and just you know you sharing how they can enjoy the journey and want to read
0: (laughs) it's the same thing i teach executives when we're crafting their presentations i'm like people remember stories don't tell them facts 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 go over people's heads uh, it was President Reagan was the first president who at his State of the Union address, rather than say, we need health care in America. He's given his speech. He's like, uh, oh, there's Joe Thompson up in the gallery. Stand up, Joe. And everybody applauds Joe. And they're like Joe works at the GM plant in Louisville, Kentucky, and he got injured on the job and he didn't have insurance. And it's costing his family eighteen hundred dollars in medical bills and he can't pay them and they're going to lose their house. And so what he did is he just took the problem. He put a face on the problem. It was Stalin who said a million people dead is a statistic. One person dead is a tragedy. He's absolutely right. How do you create those stories? I mean, when I was a middle school teacher in Watts, I was the only teacher in my school that didn't have any single none of my students were ever tardy it's because I always started off my class. I'd read a Paul Harvey story. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. He, he died a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old, but he'd come on every day at 1215. I'd listen to him. He's like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd tell you this five minute story and you're just sitting there trying to guess who's he talking about? What's the company or whatever. But Shante, when I read those stories, well, a lot of his stories were about like Sears Roebuck. Well, Kids today don't know what Sears Roebuck is. And so the last book I wrote, which is called Leadership Begins with Motivation, this was like an updated version, and homage to Paul Harvey with quick little stories for the kids about more modern things. May I share one with you right now, Sean? Yes, please. please. Okay, so here's a quick one. On the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain t-shirt strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon and Kennedy agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch. And seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Trust me on this one. Whedon implored the company's co-founder and the co-founder, his company and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike. And advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. So that's the way I get kids excited about like the different possibilities out there. And it's the same thing when you're crafting a presentation, a tip I'll, I'll give to people you know, and this works whether you're a, an executive or an entrepreneur or a preacher or a teacher, you're running a nonprofit or you're running a daycare center. You know, what you do is you, you sit down, you get a, a pen and paper, a libation of choice, coffee or tea, maybe, or stronger if you want. And you write down every story that's ever happened in your life. And I don't mean the whole story. I just mean triggers. So like, oh, the time I locked myself out of the car out in front of Costco the time dad spilled mustard on his tie in that fancy restaurant, what's going to happen is you'll come up with a list of about four to 500 stories. And then the second part of the exercise then is then you're going to look at each of those stories and, and try and figure out what's the moral of that story. So for example, Oh, when I locked myself outside the car, that's actually really a story about overcoming adversity. When I tattled on my brother in first grade, that's really a story about responsibility. I have, files on my computer that you know labeled loyalty and love and responsibility and procrastination filled with these stories and so whenever i'm speaking at different events i have different stories that can relate to those things and if you look at the greatest most successful leaders they're really good storytellers they're great at getting you interested in their mission you know and when you're crafting a presentation That's really the whole goal is how do I connect with my audience so they want what I call the second date with me? You know, you don't do that by bragging about your accomplishments. I actually always say that the more ordinary your stories, the better. I mean, because most people in your audience are ordinary. I mean, don't tell people about your successes. Tell them about your failures because not everybody in your audience has succeeded, but they've all failed. And the more you talk about your failures, I mean, I've never seen Michael Jordan speak, but if he spoke, I would suggest don't talk about your six NBA rings and being the greatest basketball player of all time. Talk about, you know, your mom forcing you to do your homework and practicing every single day, even when nobody else believed in you, when you got cut from the team and you had all this self doubt because everybody in your audience They've had that happen to them. Not everybody's climbed Mount Everest. Not everybody's walked on the moon, but everybody has had self doubt. So, how can you connect to your audience? I mean, Shanti, you're this neuroscientist. You have all these extraordinary credentials, but you're so approachable. You know, that's what makes you so great. Like, I like you immediately. I don't think I'd like you as much if you're like, well, I'm Dr. Shanti. You know, I had a coach. He coached me for three years before he even found out I was a PhD. He's like, Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, Well, I know it. I don't need to brag about it to anybody.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a That's so interesting you say that because when I started the journey about 10 years ago, moving from the clinical realm to positive neuroscience and per- personal and professional development, I was just like that. Here's the brain and here's the different parts of the brain. And I didn't like me, <laughs> I sounded boring. But when I started being authentic, when I started connecting it to real experiences, to you know, current social issues, what people really cared about, you know, culture and trends, that's what really made the connection for me and within myself and how I wanted to deliver. Our brains are made for storytelling, right? And so it, it activates those circuitries that allow us to feel bonding and trust, right? When we were evolving in tribes, we didn't have the written word or symbols yet. We would gather around fires and we would listen to the stories of the huntsmen and all of that. and, And we would connect and bond on that level. So that's triggering emotions, right? In a positive way, in an exciting way. And so just to your point, when people are giving these presentations, people are not going to remember all the words, all the stats. Mm-hmm. Some of them will stick, but ultimately they're going to remember how they felt.
0: I've never had a person who was in my audience six months later, come up to me and say, Oh, Danny, you know what I loved about your presentation was that one PowerPoint side that had 18 bullet points that you couldn't read because the font was so small. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never heard that, but people remember jokes. People remember stories. People remember whenever I get them up and moving and interacting with one another. Another tip I give people, I like, if you want to be a good speaker, there's two things you have to do. You have to do the work, you have to speak, and you have to watch lots of speakers. I mean, I watch at least 10 speakers a day. I'm watching televangelists, comedians, politicians, TED Talks. Oh, wow. I'll watch them in front of international audiences, American audiences, all women, all men, you know, minorities, you know, police unions. A trick I use is I watch a lot of award shows because When the person wins the Grammy or the Emmy or the Oscar, they only usually have about 45 seconds to give a speech. And I want to see if they can give a good speech. And now most people, they don't. They're like, huh, thank you, God. Thank you, Academy. Thank you. You know, and it's just silly. But there was a guy a couple of years ago at the Academy Awards, a British guy so, he won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing. So, all of Hollywood's elites in the audience, and it's film editing. So, they don't really care. This isn't an important person. This isn't a celebrity. And so, I think the guy's name was Joe Walker, who's British. And he gets up there and he's like, and here's how he starts his speech he's like, a lot of people don't know this, but when phrased properly, the term Academy Award nominee can be used as an insult. Well, now he's got everybody's attention. People start laughing. And he's like, for example, yesterday I got in an argument with my 17-year-old daughter and she said, wait, Academy Award nominee, Joe Walker. I mean, (laughs) everybody is dying. I mean, I'm watching Zendaya wants to meet him. Sandra Bullock wants to meet him. Brad Pitt. That's the power of a really good story. He was able to connect with those people. They had no idea who he was. Within 20 seconds, he had connected with his audience. That is power. And that's what I'm always looking for in people when I'm looking at their presentations. You know, people often hire me to add humor to their presentations. I'm like, well, you don't have to be funny. You just need to get people to smile. You know, so I was working with a financial planner last week. And so I said, well, he's very kind of stoic. And I asked him, well, he's wanted humor in his talk. I said, what do you sell? He said, well, I sell 401ks. And I'm like, well, does your audience know what a 401k is? He's like, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm like, okay, well, there's your line then is you just say, you know, 401k, I can't even run a 5k, you know, it's not meant to be laugh out loud. It's meant to get people to chuckle and they're going to stay connected with you. And that's what you have to do throughout your presentation is what am I doing to keep people connected? And that's all you really have to do.
1: And the common denominator are words. Yeah. Our words intention. And the sooner we can get our kids loving words, right? Reading words, writing their own words, performing their words. And we can get them in a whole brain situation here when it comes to reading, which I think sometimes is missing in our schools. We really need to evolve how we engage the full brain so that our kids can want or love to read. I really appreciate all that you have shared today. I think we covered the whole spectrum (laughs) (laughs) here, which I love. And so I never know what's gonna come out of these conversations but we get to know a bit more about you and your mission and how you change the world and continue to change the world. And I can't wait to get you on my stage confer- conversations with the neuroscientists one day. I'm coming to LA,
0: by the way. That sounds so. good. I love it. Well, and as a, as a thank you to you and your audience for bearing with me, Shante, I wanted to give everybody a couple of freebies. So if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed, which is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. I love seeing CEOs starting these meetings with their Dr. Seuss books. And then I'm also going to give everybody access. Last summer, I did a five-day reading challenge online for about 700 parents all over the world, where every day for an hour, I give you an hour's worth of ideas, of strategies to get your kids excited about reading. Because the more excited we get kids to read, the more likely they are to read and the more they read, the better they get. So if you just go to freegiftfromdanny.com, you can get those. And if you need anything else, you can always contact me via my website, dannybrussel.com. My last name is really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like bras sell. No, I never took any grief over that as a child. And I just really appreciate all that you're doing, Shanti, and, and you keep on doing it. And I'll support you in any way I can.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Please everyone share your comments and reviews and buy Danny's books and sign up for his free gifts. Can you share one tip that you shared last summer for parents to get their kids excited about reading?
0: I'll often work with parents in the inner city and they'll claim they have nothing to read at home. I'm like, oh, actually, you do. President Bush senior over 30 years ago signed a very important law in this country. It says every television set in America has to have closed captioning. So the first strategy I always share with parents is turn on the closed captioning on the TV. And parents look at me and say, well, wait a second. If the show is in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point. Now, let me make a point. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's actually very difficult to do. You would know this. Your brain is very directed towards that text. And there's actually research to support this. And if you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet, except for one. The country where the kids have the highest reading scores, they also watch the most TV in the world. It's Finland. Finland. And people always ask me, well, how can that be, Danny? I'm like, well, because Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they import all these old American sitcoms like Gilligan's Island, Good Times, uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. And they have to subtitle them all the time. The kids are constantly reading. And so that's the easiest strategy any parent can implement right now is just turn on the closed captioning on the television set. I I just have a feeling that TV's here to stay. I'll give you one more strategy I use with my own three kids ever since they were little. I set a rule because I think TV's here to stay. You can turn on the TV, but the price of admission is you have to bring me something to read. So when the kids were little, they'd bring me picture books and we'd read picture books before they could turn on the television. Now they're all teenagers. And so they'll bring me like their iPad and we'll read some silly article on the iPad. But that's what you're trying to do. And you know this as well with brain research is when you're trying to develop habits, the easiest way to do that is what's called habit stacking, which means take a habit that you already have and add the new habit to that habit. So like one thing you can do is brush your teeth. And as you're brushing your teeth, have post-its on your mirror of like inspirational messages. If you want to start doing that, there's little strategies like that. So again, I never share anything too complicated. It's one of the things I really appreciate about you, Shanti. It's like a lot of people use language to be exclusive, And I don't like that. I like to make things understandable to everybody. If you and I want to sit there and impress one another with our vernaculars, I'm not into that. You know, I used to be a journalist before I was a teacher. I like to put things in English so people understand them. So those are a couple of strategies. Nothing too difficult because people don't do difficult things. What you're trying to do is to create things that are sustainable. What are some daily exercises that you can implement that will be sustainable that you'll actually do? And I have to give lots of strategies because if I give 100 strategies, everybody's like five of them are great. Well, the five are different for every single person. So that's why you give 100.
1: (laughs) Yes. You know, the brain doesn't like to fix something that's not broke. Right. (laughs) So it's like it's very hard to create a new habit. So what are you already doing? Even if it's a bad habit, we can kind of pave over it or extend it and redirect it with whatever you're already doing, right? And here's a, a little tweak, another strategy that's a daily human strategy. You don't have to overthink it and, you know, form that new desire, that new goal. So I think that was another good tip about parents. You can actually let your kids watch TV now. Okay. Don't feel guilty. I will say this. I let my kids watch a lot of TV. They watch Sesame <laughs> Street. They watch, you know, Word Girl and all of that. It always had the captions on. Always. And since they were, they started watching TV because nice. I'm like, they're reading. <laughs> and so it's a way for parents to get a break too without feeling guilty, right? And so I think that we have to be, like you use the word inclusive, Like our bandwidth is important as well as we're trying to navigate the complex world of parenthood.
0: (laughs) It's something I appreciate about you, Shanti. You're basically like a coach to me. I'm always getting coached by different people. This is why I think people need to really embrace diversity. And it's great that people are different. I mean, even in my men's Bible study, we can all read the same verse from the Bible and all of us have a different take on what it means. I always appreciate that insight. I hired a, a dietary coach this year because I really wanted to, you know, I'm like, Danny, you're becoming a fat slob. Come on. I'm like, let's get your act together. I've had all these bad habits I've accumulated over the years. And my doctor, he's wonderful, Shante. He said, Danny, stop thinking about losing weight. Start thinking about gaining years. Ooh. Nobody ever put it to me that way. What a reframe. Yeah. Love and he said, he said, Danny, you can still have the bourbon. Just... <laughs> Start with one less glass. Can you do one less glass? I'm like, yeah, I can do one less glass. He's like, hey, you need more fiber in your diet. You know, if you want me to stay away, what do you have to do? I'm like, oh, an apple a day. He's like, yeah, an apple a day. Oh, add some fiber to your diet. But he's been very gradual with these things. He says, Danny, if you're not going to do it forever, there's no reason for us to try. It. Like you've got to get your mind in a mindset that this is going to be a lifetime thing. I always tell people I'm a weight loss expert. I've lost over a thousand pounds. The problem is I've gained over 1,230 for a net gain of 230. Mm-hmm. I've accumulated a lifetime of bad habits and he's trying to rewire my brain. He's like, I don't want you stopping. He's like, you've lost all this weight in different diets because it was for a short term, but your brain knew it was going to end He's like, yes, we got to change that, those <laughs> circuits so really in the circuits. I like the circuits. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the brain is like this electrical thing. So that's why people should be listening to you, Shante, is it gets you thinking in a different way. Sometimes it's just one little phrase. And you never know what it is that you say. A friend of mine, Tremaine Nelson, just a wonderful speaker. For 20 years, people have been trying to get him to write a book. He's had so many coaches and he worked with me. And in two months, his book is done. And wow. he's like, Danny, you're incredible. You're an incredible coach. I'm like, well, what did I say to you that was so profound? He said, here's what you said that was profound. He said, because I told him, Tremaine, you got to write your bad book.
1: Hey, get it out the way.
0: <laughs> and that's what I said. I said, what's going to happen is you're going to write a lousy book and you're, it's going to be sitting on your bookshelf. and You'll be proud because your book is on the bookshelf. And then you're going to look at it. and You're going to say, you know what? I can do better than that. And your second book will be better. And your third book will be even better. And your fourth, I mean, unless you're Harper Lee, everybody takes several tries before you get there. Again, use Michael Jordan as your guide. I mean, he wasn't born the chosen one. He worked his tail off. Tiger Woods, people always look at the glamour. I'm like, the guy works harder than anybody else. And he hires coaches. He's got a putting coach. He's got a driving coach. He's got a mental coach. I mean, maybe he needs a relationship coach. But you know. again, that's important. That's why I love working with athletes. They understand the power of a coach. What is it that can make me a little better? When I'm working with leaders, you know, leaders, they're always like, oh, how do you make me a little bit better? I'm like, hey, here's what we do. It's those little things that make you stronger. And that's what you're doing, Shante, with this podcast, is you're getting everybody rewiring the circuitry. You have a nice, vast array of guests that provide different insights, which I appreciate. I just think you're great. And I think we need a lot more of you.
1: I'm trying, Danny. (laughs) Trying my mind through the Optimine Institute. But you said something about I know we could keep going. I know. But you mentioned how diets are temporary and the brain knows it. Mm -hmm. And it will work, you know, to meet that temporary goal and then default back to habits. But what I love about missions, and I'm going to wrap it up after this missions are not temporary, they can evolve that The path to reach the mission could evolve and should evolve as we are always growing organically, you know, towards our higher human selves. My mission is to empower uh, 1 billion minds, right? I don't know how I'm going to do all that. I don't know necessarily all the paths, but I can keep going. And it's not just about me, but it includes me, right? And so it's fuel. It's my GPS system and it's long lasting. It's not temporary. So our missions are going to be there as we continue to grow ourselves and keep closing gaps, but also heightening this human experience with our strengths and gifts. So thank you again for what you do.
0: Thanks for all you do, Shante, and change all those ifs to wins. You're definitely going to reach
1: You know, I arbitrarily picked a billion because I'm just giving something for my left brain to do, (laughs) to believe in, okay? And so it would be great to see the marker at some point. And when I reach beyond one billion, how about that, Danny? You like that?
0: Again, (laughs) think about that. There's only 350 million in America, but I mean, all you have to do, you'll hit your billion. I mean... I gave one India. presentation in India and it went out that night to a billion and a half people on Indian television. I hit the billion. Look oh, at said. Nigeria. Nigeria is the most rapidly increasing population on the planet right now. It's like in America, I think it's right now an average of 1.8 children per couple. And in Nigeria, it's 8.1.
1: Oh, wow. We're going to hit that 10 billion. People need
0: to look at numbers. I mean, but I mean, think about that. You have the entire African continent that people seem to forget about. You got India, you've got Pakistan, you got Indonesia. Don't just think within these borders. I mean, what a role model you can be to young men and women all around the world.
1: Yeah, I do get messages from all around the world, young girls wanting to know, how do you become a neuroscientist? So I know I'm, you know, I know there's the reach. I'm not obsessed with the, number, but I'm obsessed with the message and the mission in the world. And there are so many lessons in this one conversation. (laughs) I can't wait to share it with the world and put clips everywhere. And so we're going to end it on that note. Okay. We're going to keep on keeping on with our missions. So that's it for us, everyone. Remember, when you better your mind and better your brain, you can make a bigger impact in the world, especially in the world of reading. Take care, everyone. Did you like this episode? Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and share with a friend. And if you consider yourself a modern thinker and if you want free mindset success tools and more tips and strategies on how to use neuroscience in your everyday life and how to stay motivated and inspired to live your best self, come visit me at ChanteTaylor.com, enter your name and email address and sign up for my newsletter. Remember, when you better your mind, you better your brain, you better your impact.